This is Laura Belgray of Talking Shrimp, and you're listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with Miriam Shulman. Today's episode is sponsored by my free passion portrait workshop. If you've ever wanted to paint portraits, but been intimidated to draw or paint people, then I want to invite you to my free passion portrait workshop. Now, if you're listening to this episode in April or May 2020, you won't want to miss the free video series. To gain instant access to the video number one, just go to shulmanart.com forward slash videos. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 87 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, I've invited a guest expert in copywriting because emails are your most powerful tool for getting collectors to whip out their credit card for everything you create. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I preach that the best ways to sell your art is either in person or through email. And with the current social distancing measures in place and many art shows getting canceled through the fall, sending out emails has become more critical than ever. So in this episode, you'll discover why your story sells your art, how to stop making writing an email a chore that you dread, and how to inject your personality into everything you write. So that your writing goes from meh to money, bye-bye to must-buy, and from so-so to sold, and I've totally ripped off today's guest to come up with that last bullet point. But before we get there, I wanted to make sure you knew about my portrait workshop. If you're interested in painting your loved ones, whether your family or fur babies, and you've always wanted to transform your passion for painting into profits, there's never been a better time to learn some new skills while you're stuck at home and preserve those special memories. To join the video series, just go to shulmanart.com forward slash videos. And by the way, it's 100% free. Now back to the show. Today's guest is the founder of Talking Shrimp and the co-creator of The Copy Cure. She's a copywriting expert who helps entrepreneurs find the perfect words to express and sell what they do in a way that gets them paid to be themselves. Through her work with hundreds of clients, including online biggies like Marie Forleo and Amy Porterfield, she's seen firsthand that putting you into your copy and all through your business is pure magic for getting people to love you up, share your ideas, and happily click that buy button. In addition to online types, her list of clients and credits include NBC, Bravo, HBO, TBS, Fandango, and many, many more. So if you watch TV and don't skip the commercials, you've probably seen her work. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Laura Belgray. Well, hey there, Laura. Welcome to the show. Hey, Miriam. Thank you so much for having me here. All right. So the reason I invited you, besides the fact that you're absolutely awesome, is because my audience is always complaining how they don't like talking to, when they write emails, they feel like they're talking to their computers. 
So we have a lot to talk about because I know writing emails is absolutely, I mean, you're just the bomb. I open up every single one that you write to find out what crazy things you have to talk about. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. But before we get there, I know you're in Sag Harbor. Yes. How far are you from Luann's house? I have to know. You know, I don't know. I think I have to track her down. Thank you for, like, I feel ashamed of myself. Like, what kind of Bravo housewife fan are you? I'm a loser, L-U, loser. But, uh, you know, I don't know if Lu, you mean Luann's former house because she had to give it up and she moved to Kings. No, I thought that too, but I'm watching the season and there's shots of her in front of Sag Harbor. And I was like, wait, I thought she sold that thing. Interesting. So I think it's still, maybe it belongs to her children. Yes, probably. They took it from her and maybe, you know, by their grace and mercy, she's allowed to visit. Yeah, yeah. Well, then we're close by for sure because it's a small place if she's in Sag Harbor proper. Okay, and have you been watching the new season? Well, I started to and then I was like, no, I want to rack up a few and then get to binge them. That's what I'm planning to do possibly tonight. I'm also catching up on Vanderpump Rules, which is also an American masterpiece and very important. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very important. Definitely. All right. Well, I'm ahead of you. So I can't ask you the other questions like, do you miss Bethany? And what do you think of the new girl? And I already miss Bethany. And that's kind of why I'm like, I have a little less urgency about watching them. It just goes to show that when people like we get to know people through not necessarily through real life, but through other mediums, and we really feel like we know them. It's like, oh, yeah, I miss Bethany. I miss spending time with her. Because I feel like I know her. You know, I'm sure people come up to them all the time and are just like, you know, hey, how skinny girl, what's going on? What has the new boyfriend? They think that they're friends and she doesn't know them from boo. And that's just like when you put your personality out there, people develop the loyalty and they think that they know you. And that's just what you were talking about. Like that's the reason they buy from you or follow you to the ends of the earth. And Oh, 100%. And with art, it couldn't be even more true. The reason people buy art is because they it's not how great an artist you are. It's how much they feel connected to the artist. And the best way to connect people is through the stories. I even have collectors who will say to me, I like that, but where's the story? Like they won't buy it until they find out what the story is about it. Like how come you didn't put anything on your website? They won't, they just won't. It's important to them. It's that's part of what they're buying from you. Absolutely. Well, like my husband and I collect art a bit. When we go into a gallery, a show, he can look at things and know right away. Like that's great. That's derivative. This person learned from this artist. This person is exploring these ideas, whatever. I can't see any of that. And so I always pick up the press release and look for like, oh, what are the references? What's the story behind this? Usually the press releases are overwritten and they're written by the gallery, but that's how I decide whether or not I like the piece, Mm. whether it's important to me and whether I want it. That's good. If I know the artist, it means something more to me, like know them personally. So I'll have a lot of artists say, oh, only my friends buy my art. And the first thing I'll say to them is that's probably because the, those are the only people who know about it, right? You know, because they're not emailing or putting themselves out there or not. But the whole point is when you're writing these emails in, and that's what we're going to dig into today, is you want your collectors to feel as if you are writing to them as a friend. And that's always how I feel when I open your emails. And you talk about the most ludicrous things too. It's just like, oh my gosh, what is she going to come up with next? It's everything from the mean girl from, you know, boarding school who charged you a quarter for every day. I don't, I don't remember why. 
by, you know, your fear of going to the bathroom in public. So it's all out there. It's um, unbelievable. It is. You know me. Well, so so that's what you're saying. Like if they say, oh, only my friends collect my art, you could solve that easily by making thousands of friends with your email. You make right. those people your friends, they become your friends, and then they will buy your art. And I actually go through my town. She's an art collector. She isn't an art collector. And I consider anyone who's bought my art, therefore, they like have status in my mind as they have friend points with me. Whether I would have liked them or not, it doesn't matter anymore. I made a list of questions here because what people are getting their panties in a, a bunch about. So first thing I wrote down is, do we have to talk about COVID when, when we send emails now? I mean, right now we're in, <sighs> oh my gosh, that noise you just made. <laughs> <laughs> That's my COVID fatigue sigh. I'm so, so, I'm so tired of COVID. Listen, I mean, I think that you always want to have context when you're writing an email or when you're posting anything. You want to have context and you can't necessarily ignore it because it is all around us. It's a fact of life right now. So you don't have to mention COVID. You might mention being at home, being cooped up with people. You might mention like anything that shows what life is now and touches on it in some way, I think makes it absolutely relevant. Anything that doesn't make your email feel like it was written in December 2019. Right. Because it is such a overwhelming experience for all, like everybody is having this experience. Not everyone is having the same experience of it, but everyone is experiencing this pandemic in some way. So it's hard not to touch on it in some way, but you don't have to. If you're writing about like why you painted a piece or something, if you're talking about a piece that you made in 2019 and why you painted it and what you were thinking, maybe there's no reason to mention what life is now. And so, no, I don't think you have to mention it that constantly, only if, it, if the context is appropriate, if it belongs there. Yeah. The one thing though I've banned, I told my assistant who helps me out sometimes with copy, I said, you're no longer allowed to say uncertain times. Oh, thank you. Wait, did you see my email today? I did, but I thought maybe you heard what I said in Ron's group. I didn't see your email. I saw a post that you did because I mean, it's never certain. It's an illusion if we think things are certain. Like if you think about what life was March 1st here in the United States, in New York, We thought life was certain, but we didn't know the world was about to change. And that's always true, that the world can change back in a day, too. Or you can always get the phone call, the God forbid, you know, something tragic happens in your life and, you know, your your spouse dies, suddenly your whole world changes. So it's always that way, not always with bad things, but sometimes with good things, too. Right. There were no certain times. That's so funny because that, yeah, I was ranting about that, but also about the about the cliche-ness of it, how everybody tries to wedge it in in order to make their copy sound relevant. So it's like, in these uncertain times, this exfoliating face wash will make your pores tight and invisible, <laughs> just like Selena Gomez. <laughs> you know, use, use uncertain times at checkout for 20% off. And it's just like, it's just so cliche and wedged in. Yeah. And then also, to me, of all of them, because there's challenging times, disturbing times, overwhelming times. There's all kinds of times that you can use. And of all of them, which are all cliche, that one strikes me as the most bland and insincere. Totally agree. So I will allow myself to use the word turbulent time. Somehow I like that better, but uncertain, ugh. Right, right. It's it's bull, like the idea that there were certain times. Right. I've had enough COVID talk, so we will move on, right? Right. We've detoned-effed it. Right. Exactly. 
I love that detoned up. Here's what I hear from people. And I have my ideas. And I'm talking about like my art, the clients who I coach who want to sell their art. They say they hate writing emails because they feel like they're talking to their computers. So what advice do you have specifically for those artists? Yeah, I think that you want to picture a person who is your ideal collector. It's probably a friend, especially if you've claimed that only your friends collect your art. And a friend who maybe is such a fan of yours, such a fan of your art that they always want first dibs. Mm. Anything that you put out there and are furious if you sell if you've sold it to somebody else without telling them about it. Think of that person that you love so much that you feel comfortable around who just loves everything that you do. If you need to, you can open an email from your regular, like your regular email client on your desktop or or wherever you compose an email, right? So I use Mac Mail. So I open up a Mac email if I'm having trouble, if I'm having trouble picturing that one person. And I start an email to them, but truly to them. Like, what would I write to this person? In what language? So I don't start to make it newslettery. You know, I don't have a big intro. You know, if it were you, Miriam, I would just say like, you know, what's shaken if I'm writing about art, you know, just, just finish this piece. I know you're going to want to see because you were so mad at me last time when I didn't tell you about it. It is, if I do say so, pretty spectacular. Do you want to come see it? You know, I just like put it in the words that I would use with a person that I like and know. And then maybe you dress it up, then maybe you, you know, put more into it. But when you start it off in the right tone with the right person in your mind's eye, it's going to be a lot easier. I love that. Now I'm going to ask you some leading questions. These are all things that I've learned from Laura. They will be either rhetorical or leading questions. <laughs> I love leading questions. Okay. Softballs. Yeah. All right. Why should we use contractions in our writing? Uh-huh. Contractions. Well, first of all, they're so easy. All they take is one finger. It's the little right pinky finger because that is the one, if you touch type, that hits the apostrophe on your keyboard. Contractions, for those who are in need a little grammar refresher. Wait, are th- those hasn't everybody watched Schoolhouse Rock? Rock? That's it. Schoolhouse School Rock. Rock. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I actually forget that one. I remember conjunction, junction, what's your Function, but I forget. Oh, wait, the, wait, the that's what I was one. thinking of. Yeah, there, there, isn't yeah. there a contraction one too then? Probably, probably. But Maybe contractions are those, up. yeah, in case someone hasn't watched Schoolhouse Rock lately, they're those combo words like instead of you are, it's you're. Instead of I will, it's I'll. The reason many, most people don't use those when they write is because it's been drilled out of them. All through you know, middle school and high school, your teacher probably said, don't use contractions. You're writing. You have to write it full out. And they probably put a big red X through it. Or if you are an escapee from the legal or corporate world, you definitely wrote in business speak, which was not using contractions. But when we speak, listen to the way we speak. It's I'll, we'll, I'm not, I, you know, don't, won't, I'm gonna. So you want to write the way you talk because when you read the words full out on the page, when there are no contractions, it looks stiff and formal. You might not even know why you're turned off by it. You might not even know why it's coming across as cold, but it's usually because the writer didn't use contractions. So not everything has to be a contraction. You don't always have to do it, but read your stuff out loud where you're changing it um, as it's coming out of your mouth. Change it on the page too, to mirror that and mirror the way you actually speak. So I like to think of it as not as copywriting, but as copy talking uh, because you want to write the way you talk. When I get emails now from whatever marketers, I will silently in my mind 
go through. Oh, that should have been a contraction. Oh, I don't like her her subject line. Right, right. Now you're getting harsh. Yeah, but now you know why you don't like it. You probably right. did it before, but you didn't know it. Oh, interesting. I know you have some tips about subject lines. So what is something that will make any email scream? It's a newsletter. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, I love that question. If you use title case in your subject line, meaning the first letter of each word is capitalized as it is in a title, that screams newsletter. It's businessy. You would never capitalize the first letter of each word if you wrote an email to a friend. Yeah. You capitalize the first word, if any of them. Sometimes we're sloppy when we write to our friends. And especially now that we communicate with the people who we're close to so much in text. Text is a place where even our our punctuation drops off. We get almost intentionally sloppy because it it now looks rude and curt to use punctuation and to to be formal there. So you kind of want your subject lines to mirror that informality. Yeah, you, you want to make sure that you're not using title case. And you will see marketers, if you're subscribed to a lot of things, you will see marketers using title case. You might find yourself turned off by it now that you heard this. Some of them get away with it because they have loyal followings and they've been doing it for years and people love their emails so much. But I, I know most of them, like when I see those, I'm just like, eh, I don't need to open that today. Yeah, It's not to me. It yeah. doesn't feel like it's to me. It's a, from a business to a business and I don't need to read it. Perfect. We're going to talk a lot about injecting personality into everything you write, and you do it so beautifully, but it's so hard to teach that. What is your advice you have for putting in more personality into emails? The first tip for personality is one that I just gave you, which is sounding like a person, the root word of personality, person, right? So you want to sound conversational. You want to mirror the way you talk. You want to read your stuff out loud and say, does this sound like a person? talking? Does it sound like me talking? Is this the way I would actually say it? Is this the slang that I would use? So you you want that same tone, that same conversational feel in your writing, make it sound like a person. And then my favorite little trick for adding personality, for injecting some flavor is something that your artists are familiar with, painting a picture. So I like to use concrete details. Not to say that Jackson Pollock was not a great artist, But if Jackson Pollock were writing, his writing would not be as good. If his paintings were writing, it wouldn't be as good because they are abstract. They are general. You know, it's a mass. It's a blob. Whereas you want to be very figurative and clear in your writing. You want to use concrete details that paint a picture when we're reading. So, for instance, instead of saying, we met up and had a conversation, that's way more interesting if you say, we met on a bench and talked over tuna sandwiches. It shows setting, it shows what was the tone, what was the feeling of this meeting. Like we met and had a conversation, we don't know. We met on a bench and talked over tuna sandwiches, says it was maybe really informal and intimate. It was somewhere outside, maybe where you didn't want the other person to make a scene. Like there's so much built into those concrete details and we can picture it. For instance, you see a lot of people talking in big generalities, especially when they're telling their life story. They'll say something like, you know, for a long time, I was in a very dark place. It was the lowest low of my life, but I came out of it and I, you know, I found myself on the other side with a whole new attitude. And that tells us nothing. It's general, it's blah. We don't know what they went through. Whereas if they said, you know, for three months of my life, I lived in unwashed sweats, 
eating nothing but Doritos from the bag and stalking my ex on Facebook, we know what kind of low they went through. I mean, that's just the, that is the essence of low right there. That is exactly why I read your emails, even though I care nothing about whatever affiliate promotion you happen to be pitching that month, but I just have to find out all these juicy details. Laura, what I want to make sure my artists hear, especially those who are interested in painting portraits, what you're saying is actually what I teach my artists to do. Now, you can take a photograph of a person and you can copy it exactly, but people are not going to connect to that painting or not be interested if there's no story being told in that painting. So you brought up other artists. If you think about Norman Rockwell, who did beautiful illustrations of portraits, every single one of his paintings tell a story. You know exactly who that kid is or who that dentist is or who that couple is. And all those little juicy details that he includes is what makes his art so compelling. And that does not mean that art has to be representational to be compelling. But if you are making representational art, you should be telling a story with it. Right. And your writing, I think, should always be representational. That's how you make it compelling. If yeah. You don't have to tell every detail, but one perfect detail can make something pop, make it come alive for us and, right. and tell the whole story. Like how you said about how, you know, if somebody's like sleeping in their car at the Kmart parking lot, that's a very different image that you're painting than was going through tough times. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> right. What was tough to you? Right. Who right. cares? And what does what does that even mean? I don't know what your tough times look like unless you tell me with real concrete details. I think that's why we both bristle with the uncertain times. Like, what does that even mean? Right, right. It is so anodyne. It's so meaningless and and washed. You know, yeah. it's just that it's watered down emotion. I think I saw that to sell somebody's book and I don't I don't want to say which one who it is cuz I don't want to throw anybody under the bus but it was about changing well I'll give you a hint it was about changing habits like oh and you know in certain times you can be certain if you like have a habit I was like oh really ew I mean I already read your book but ew now right now ew now like, stop yeah. trying to leverage that cuz it's not no, Maybe it works for some people, yeah. but not on us smarties. What else can artists do in terms of talking about their life? Now, because I know you hear from people, oh, your life is so interesting, Laura, because you live in New York. <laughs> well, I love yes. laughing. I'm, I'm laughing because I have this shame of having fled New York. for the, I'm so, I consider myself like a diehard, ride or die New Yorker, and I've been there through the gritty crime and dirt filled 70s and I was there through 9-11 and I've been there through the douchiest of times for the horrors visited upon the city by hedge funders and PR girls and their lines for cupcakes and I've never left and now this happened turns out I'm not so tough after all oh, <laughs> come on, you're, I'm doing what's I'm, fled, I'm doing what's like safe talk, before we hit record you fled Egypt right oh, exactly exactly I'm surviving and I'm really happy to be in a place that's I think safer Citarella is no safer like people do say you're so interested like oh it's easy for you to tell stories to find stories to tell because you live in New York and interesting things always happen to you walking down the street first of all I'm looking for interesting things to happen. And it's the little details that I pick up on. But you can find those. You can find stories. You can find conflict. You can find interesting things anywhere. And the email that you're referring to, I talked about like how many seasons there are of the show The Office. 
it's like one of the longest running sitcoms of all time. And there are at least two stories in every episode, the A plot and the B plot. And where does that take place? In an office park in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You can find stories anywhere. Story comes from conflict, generally. It comes from intrigue. It comes from mystery. But most of all, conflict, and it can be little conflicts, a conflict between what you want and what you have, just wanting something is a conflict and is, is a story. Your inner dialogue that's happening, your, the crazy things you think about. Right, exactly. There's a tension and a conflict between the way you look on the outside and what's actually going on in your head. If you smile while thinking, I don't want to come anywhere near this person who's handing me my iced coffee and they're not wearing a mask, you know, <laughs> like that's, there's a conflict right there. So there's, there's something to write to about every that? day. There actually is a nice coffee place. I think they're able to stay open because they also have chia bowls. Why did I suddenly feel jealous? I don't know why. I wasn't jealous up until this point. You know, it's like you have like this sounds glamorous, this Sag Harbor home. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Until she said, yeah, I can still get iced coffee. I can still get iced coffee. But you know what? I don't. I don't. I see people lined up for it. You know, mostly most of them six feet apart at this Sag coffee place. But I always think about like, wait a minute, the person is handing you like, are you going to pour your iced coffee into a different cup now? Like that person has just touched your, you don't know, like, I don't care if they're wearing gloves. Right, they, they might have, have touched their, their nose, their face they're touched their gloves. face with the gloves. The gloves don't do anything. So you're now getting an iced coffee in a plastic container with a straw that's all been probably touched. And so... Yeah. I'm not really interested in that. Like I miss my iced coffee, but I'll make my own at home. Yeah. (laughs) That makes me feel so much better. So there's a story in that, like in just being tempted by an iced coffee. There's a story in like seeing a leaf fall and it making you think of some time in the past. But this is where people get stuck is how do they go from this very cute iced coffee story to now they want to sell their painting of... A giraffe, just making it up because there's a painting of a giraffe behind me. So this is like improv class. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> poor, okay. Poor Laura, I just put her on the spot. Well, I would probably start with like, if you're thinking of your painting of a giraffe, I would probably start with what is the story behind that? You know, why did you paint the giraffe? Like, did you paint that giraffe in person when you were on safari? A story like that today might be like, here I am, like the most dangerous thing that I could do today is actually like risk my life for an iced coffee. And meanwhile, you know, just a year ago, I was sitting in the plains of, you know, Africa with a giraffe in my face and a lion a few feet away. See, I love the way you did that. And the thing that's so important, which I think everybody needs to know, is how you really couldn't do that for me because you don't know why I painted that. Only you know your story. And that is what connects people. So if I were to take that same, Laura, same made up story and send it out, to my collectors that would fall completely flat because they would see through it that it wasn't it did, wouldn't ring true like Miriam didn't go on a safari blah, blah, blah. you know now if I were to send the actual thing okay well you know it's about sticking your neck out and being vulnerable because that's how I feel about this giraffe and now relate that to how we're all afraid to get the iced coffee like I've never felt more vulnerable before except maybe the time where I don't know. I can't make up things on the spot either. 
I don't know when I had when I had braces in the tenth grade. Who knows? Like you know, when everybody else had grown out of braces, but suddenly I was getting them on. And yeah, no, but that's great, right? Exactly. And you could like you don't even have to start. Like the coffee might be a jumping off point for you that you don't even end up putting in there. It might be like, oh, you know what? I actually want to tell the story about the time I felt most vulnerable. If you're jumping off from in the story from the idea of right now, like who's vulnerable and vulnerables a new like is being used in a new way about in terms of health. But when we think of it normally, we think of it in terms of emotional vulnerability and probably the most vulnerable moment in my life was when I got braces. Like I've never gotten over that feeling of, you know, being teased for having braces and being called metal mouth or thinking people would. And that's what, why this giraffe is so powerful to me. I love that. But what about people who say, oh, you know, I still find writing an email chore that I dread. I think a lot of people start off that way, thinking an email is a chore that they dread. And then when they see what's possible, like, oh, wait, I can be myself. I can write an email to my subscribers the same way I would write an email to a friend. I actually like writing an email to my friends, like, you know, telling a funny story to my friends saying, like, you're not going to believe who I bumped into today. And putting that same feeling, that same intimacy into your emails. Like the idea that that's allowed usually makes people love writing emails. And then once they start doing that and they get engagement, they get responses back and people saying, oh my gosh, this email made my day. And please keep me up on your new paintings as they come up, as you complete them. I Like that's so gratifying to get replies to your emails and know that they're, that they're landing and that they're making, they might be making a difference. They might be entertaining people, making somebody smile and also giving permission to somebody else to be the, more themselves in their communications for their own business. We were talking a little bit about portraits, but portraits are also stories. And I feel like all these things that we're doing, whether you're painting, and even if you're a sculptor, you're creating like this legacy of your stories. And putting it into writing is one more way to create this lasting legacy of all your ideas and your stories. And it's important to put it out there and not to take them the way that my grandmother used to say it, not to take it with you. I can't take it with me, she used to say. Yeah, right. No, and she, and she's right. Like, you don't want to die. Like, we're all facing our mortality now, right? And, right. Yeah, and I don't want to go like, there, but thank you for going. No, who wants to die untapped? We have so much to say in our lives. And I, I don't know anyone who has said everything that they have to say. And I think it is also kind of crazy to draw a line between forms of expression, say like, If you're a painter, that's the way you express yourself. We all have things to say and we say it in different ways. And like words are our first form of communication. Mm. Our first form of self-expression from when we're, from the time that we're born. We learn our first word. We learn our first word long before we learn to draw something, to draw a shape, right? If you want to be a self-expressed person, I think you should express yourself in all the ways that you know how. Yeah. And just try to see it as one more creative outlet for yourself. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today, Laura. Now, Laura has a ridiculous amount of freebies. Make sure you get your hands on her subject line freebie, how to write non-sucky subject lines. 
that's a good one. Okay, that will go over a few of the things we talked about today. And that definitely will make a big difference in your open rates for starters. So you're going to find a link to Laura's website in the show notes, which are shulmanart.com forward slash 87. And also her website, talkingshrimp.com, in case you want to find out more. All right, Laura. Do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? Express yourself. Don't hold back just because it's now writing and it's business. Why don't you take that layer off of it and think of it as expressing yourself to the people who are interested in the way that you express yourself and go for it and have fun with it. I love that. Thanks so much for being with me here today, Laura. Next week, we have the one and only Amy Porterfield. And trust me, you are not going to want to miss that. So make sure you hit the subscribe button and or follow whatever it is in your podcast app. And if you're feeling extra generous, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts to tell us what you most loved about the show. So in case you don't know how, because it could be a little tricky, search for The Inspiration Place, scroll down till you get to ratings and reviews, hit five stars, write a review. But most importantly, don't forget to hit the send button. And by the way, if you put your Instagram handle, that's the thing that starts with the at at the end of the review, I'll even give you a shout out over on my IG stories. All right, that's all for now. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. 